0: Amen. It's always fun whenever children's time during Thanksgiving turns into a competition, right? That's a good competition, Thanksgiving. That's a good Thanksgiving tradition. Of course, Carmen, if you were an ordained clergy, you would have told the story like this. I think they used the world's largest pumpkin to make the large, world's largest pumpkin pie. See, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. It's just It makes a good story, you know? But well done. We turned Thanksgiving into a competition. I think we we did something right this morning. Well, welcome to uh, First Methodist La We are approaching Thanksgiving, aren't we? And so we're going to celebrate that today after the service. You're certainly all invited to join us for lunch. Uh, It's going to be really good. And we're going to have a good time with our auction for the youth. Been having good crowds at our youth on Wednesday nights. So Uh, Good things are happening with the youth ministry. We're grateful for everything uh, that they're doing, all the volunteers who help with that. And uh, so we're going to have a good time today. And we're going to continue our series on Kingdom Come. Just wanted to maybe point out something as we approach this topic today and the next two weeks. I just kind of wanted to highlight something as we kind of change gears a little bit this morning and next week. And I want to just kind of paint a trajectory for where we've been. You know, my family and I have been here since July, and our first series that we went through together was over the church. And if you'll remember that topic, you know, one of the main points of the church and its purpose and who we are, we're a called out people who are called to train in loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. You guys remember that? Of course, you're going to pretend like you did whether you do or not, right? But this is, I just want to paint a picture. Church, our purpose, our highest priority is to learn how to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. It's the thing God cares most about. And so then we transition from there into the Sermon on the Mount, which is really teaching us if we're gonna love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, what are the things that we need to do? What, is it, what does that look like? And the Sermon on the Mount paints a picture better than anything else of exactly how we make progress toward that high and lofty goal. And we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, God's kingdom that he wants to establish, which will be permanent. It will be really good for everyone. And I just want to show you how all of this ties together. Because when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, the highest priority, the thing that's valued more than anything else, the most important commodity, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven, the coming kingdom of heaven, is love. Amen? Amen? God's highest priority, and it's consistent from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's consistent. God's highest priority is that we would love God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. And so I would even say this. You guys are love-making and love-producing machines. Every one of us. We're called to be little love-making and love-producing and love-sharing machines. The kingdom of heaven, more than anything else, is designed to produce love. It's the highest priority of the kingdom. More than anything else, God describes himself. God is love. This is our highest priority. And as Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, the first objective is, is to eliminate everything that hinders love. All of the judgments of God, all of the acts of Jesus Christ whenever he returns are to remove everything that keeps love from happening and being shared in its purest form. And so one of the things I wanted to transition to today was to read an episode of scripture to you that illustrates that very thing. It's going to be from Matthew 25. I actually shared this with uh, the community men's prayer breakfast a few weeks ago. But there was only a couple of you present at that. And so it's going to be a little bit of a repeat for you. But we'll share some new details and facts. The good news for you guys was it was about a five to ten minute devotional. Because we do have an important lunch coming up, don't we? And I'm just as excited about that as you are. So we'll, uh, we'll go through this, but we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It's the parable of the 10 virgins. There are a couple of parables of scripture that Jesus uses to illustrate how important the first commandment is to God and to Jesus and to you and I. And this is one of the parables that he uses to illustrate that. And I would say this, this is a topic that we will be repeating together. Uh, However long God has us together, this is a topic that we will be repeating together over and over and over again because it's God's highest priority. Therefore, it ought to be our highest priority. And it's something that bears repeating uh, on a regular basis. Because if you're like me, this instrument gets out of tune really easy. I need to be tuned and tweaked on a regular basis. And so we're going to be reading from Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, just to set the stage or the context. Matthew 24, Jesus has spent the entire chapter speaking to his disciples about the coming kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about the time frame that describes when Jesus is going to return from the earth. Now, church, we haven't covered any of that material, just to be clear. The the material that we have been covering is what happens after Jesus returns. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about events that will happen before he returns. That's a different subject. Maybe next fall, after you've gotten over all of the crazy that I've already shared with you. We can have some new crazy. But for now, Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 25, he's been talking about the time frame that is gonna characterize his return to the earth. And whenever we get to Matthew 25, he's speaking to his disciples. This is something you need to keep in mind. So with that being said, let's pick up the story. Matthew 25, verse one. At that time, this is following on the heels of Matthew 24, and so it's speaking of the time when Jesus returns to the earth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. And five were wise. The foolish foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It's an interesting parable. Jesus instructs his disciples with this parable what they need to keep in mind as they're waiting for the Lord to return. So Jesus is answering the question, the kingdom of heaven is coming, and whenever the kingdom of heaven comes, This is really what you need to be focused on in order to prepare for it when it arrives. And so Jesus is instructing them with this parable. And this is one of the parables that Jesus gives us that he doesn't give us an explanation for. Jesus does give us explanations of some other parables that he he gives. And when he explains it, what he's doing is he's teaching us how to interpret parables whenever he gives them. And so I want to use some of those principles as we're interpreting this parable together and maybe answering the question, well, what does that mean? I'm supposed to be, this is supposed to be teaching me how to prepare for the coming kingdom of heaven. Jesus has given this parable, but what does it mean? Because it's really not obvious at first, is it? And so here's what Jesus would teach us when we're interpreting a parable. Every component of the parable means something. And so as we think about the components of the parable, let's think about them together. Some of the main components of the parable was there were virgins, right? And there were 10 of them. Now, what is a virgin, church? I mean, I don't mean to get explicit here. I think we all know what that means literally, but what does it symbolize? What it symbolizes is loyalty. Someone who has set themselves apart to be loyal to someone else. So all 10 are virgins correct so here we have 10 virgins who are who are loyal who set themselves apart to god they all have lamps don't they it's another important clue as to how to interpret the parable well what is a lamp what is its function a lamp is a tool isn't it a lamp is a tool that we use to shine light into the darkness correct so a flashlight or your cell phone functions to do the same. It's a tool that God has given these virgins to shine light into the darkness. We know that all 10 virgins are described as virgins. All 10 are described as having lamps. We know from the story, all 10 of the lamps work and have oil in them, don't they? Here's what distinguishes the wise from the foolish. The wise have adequately prepared for the coming kingdom of heaven. The foolish have not. And so let's think about this. What is a lamp? In the book of Revelation, a lamp describes the ministry given to the seven churches. So when Jesus is addressing the seven churches in Revelation, those are are good books, chapters to read as well in regards to being prepared for the coming of Jesus. But each one of the churches is described as having a lamp placed in their midst. That lamp symbolizes their ministry. Now listen, church, not everyone is called to professional ministry in the church, but every one of you is called to ministry ministry. Isn't that right? Can I hear you say amen this morning? Every one of you is just as called to ministry to shine your light into the world as me or any other professional clergy, whatever that means. Every one of us has a ministry. Every one of us has an external life that we're supposed to be using to shine the light of Jesus and make the world a better place. Many of you do that through your workplace. Not only are you using your work, your vocation to make the world a better place for Jesus, but that's also a vehicle for you to witness to other people and be and represent Jesus in the community. And so <clears throat> there's they all have lamps. They all all have external vehicles by which they shine the light of Jesus into the world. <clears throat> the foolish ones have lamps with oil that have a light going. The wise ones have lamps with oil that have a light going. What distinguishes them, the wise ones spent their time, their energy, and their resources accumulating extra oil, right? Which is another component. There's the oil what does that represent? You know, at its bottom line, oil is a fuel that keeps the light burning. It, it's inside the lamp. It is energy. It is desire. It is zeal. To put a country simple, it is our love for God that keeps that light lit and burning. And Jesus says, the wise ones what they were what they did that the others didn't do, they adequately prepared for and recognized and and made allowances for a long delay. The time frame that was going to required to keep that light on in that lamp was much longer than the the foolish virgins anticipated. Now listen, isn't that true in life? Have you ever looked up in your life and found yourself just going through the motions? No desire, no zeal. I think we we all have found ourselves in those circumstances in life. And Jesus said, you need to predict that, you need to take it into account because the time frame required to keep the light lit in that lamp To be doing it out of desire, out of love, out of joy, out of pleasure. The time frame that you're going to need to burn that light is longer than you anticipated. The amount of oil that you're going to need to keep that light lit is more than what you'd think. And so Jesus is is preparing us with this parable. If you're going to prepare for the coming kingdom of heaven... It's real tempting to be focused on your lamp and just burning your lamp. Because you know what? That's what you get attention for, isn't it? That's what you get recognized by other people for, is shining your lamp. Look at how pretty my light is. Look how big my lamp is. Isn't it it fancy? Isn't it well-decorated? Church, we love focusing on our lamps. What we do who sees us doing it, how much credit we get for it. Boy, we love that lamp, and we love getting credit for it. But you know what? we tend to neglect is what happens in private. What we tend to neglect is focusing on spending with an adequate amount of time developing an inner life. Or here's another way of putting it, not only a relationship, With Jesus, that's really important. But a history in godliness. You know, Jesus is telling us in this parable, you can't just buy and sell a history in your relationship with God. There's no substitute for time. There's no substitute for paying attention to that. There's no substitute for focusing on something that you do that's hidden, that's unseen, that you never get credit for from anyone. Developing an inner life with God and cultivating. When we talk about a love for God, I like to use different vocabulary because, again, that just, it kind of gets washed out, the meaning of it. Cultivating a pleasure, taking pleasure in the things of God cultivating a joy in growing in the knowledge of him. Cultivating uh, an energy. There's an inner energy that's released whenever we pray to God in partnership with him, things that he wants prayed, and we're doing it with him. There is an energy, a life that's imparted to us that is it's kind of a squeezing. It's imparting oil into our inner man so that You know, serving in the kingdom or in the workplace or witnessing, it's not just a duty, but it's a delight. Can you appreciate the difference? How many of you know that someone who is delighted in the things of God is so much more powerful and effective than someone who's just doing it out of a sense of of duty? Joy is much more contagious than guilt, isn't it? You know, uh, loving God in the sense that I really like God. I really like spending time with him. I really like talking about him. So much more powerful than shame. You know, it's a powerful thing. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to prepare for my kingdom, you need to understand something the amount of oil that you need to accumulate is much more significant than what you might think or anticipate. So it's something you probably need to pay a little more attention to than you do as you move forward. A couple of closing points about this parable. All of the virgins fall asleep as they're waiting for the bridegroom, they're not criticized for that. They're not criticized for falling asleep. You know, rest is an important thing. Recovery is an important thing. Another thing to point out, there's a warning at the end of this chapter, and just to think about it correctly, it's different from the warning that Jesus gives whenever he's describing the separating of the sheep and the goat. And there are believers who stand before Jesus and saying, didn't we do this, that, and the other in your name? And Jesus said to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You know that passage? This is different from that. Pretty much any Bible commentator will tell you the vocabulary is different. The foolish virgins when they're not allowed into the the bridegroom feast, they're not condemned to hell. That's not what this is about. They're virgins, they have lamps, they have oil, they have a light, but they've lost something nonetheless, haven't they? There's something very special, very privileged. Jesus says those who have prepared for it They're gonna be the ones invited and there'll be some left out. And so it's important as we think about the implications of this, I don't wanna leave any kind of dangling ideas. This isn't Jesus talking about, uh, you know, whether or not these, these foolish virgins get sentenced to eternal judgment. That's not what it's about. But they've lost something very important and special and precious as Jesus' kingdom is inaugurated on the earth with probably some type of celebration called a bridegroom feast. Not everyone gets invited. And those who don't, they're going to be very upset. They're going to have missed out on something very important. All of this illustrates for us how much time, effort, energy, and focus we need to divert to cultivating our own personal, private life in God with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to minister to us in private, store up treasures from the word of God in our minds and hearts, store up deep treasures, rivers of living water that flow deeply and freely on the inside of us. It's really important to God. It's the most important thing we can do to prepare for the coming kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll say this, church, in closing. I suspect we may have unbelievers that come into our circles of influence. This morning, I'm talking to you guys. And I'm talking to me. I was uh, doing this devotional at a, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this parable the past couple of weeks. I was doing this parable at a pastor's meeting with other pastors that are preparing for ministry. And I gave this, I was uh, asked to give the devotional. I gave this devotional. And I was charged by some of the people in the room. How Well, are you doing on this? You know, if I'm being honest, I told them I could pick out days of the week. Monday, you know, come to think about Monday, I fasted breakfast and lunch, and I got to spend extra time with God. I did really well on Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, not so much. You know, it's important that we take stock of how we're using our time. We're actually conscious of it. We're intentional about it. Because the key element in this is time. You can't just go out and buy a history with God in a few short minutes and make things right. There is no substitute for time. And so this is what I would challenge you with this morning, church, because I'm assuming most of you are believers, if not all of you are believers. How are you doing on this? How is your own private inner life with God? Is that a priority for you? Are you intentionally growing in your love for God, the things of God, the word of God? Are you intentionally growing in those things? That's what I would challenge you with this morning. And as we wind up this series next week, we'll do a similar story. Whenever we talk about time with God, Not only do we have to be intentional about what we say yes to, we've also got to be intentional about what we say no to. Amen? That's next week's sermon. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your wisdom. It is life to us. This isn't just a roadmap to life in the next age. This is a roadmap to real life and living here and now. You know, the the lamp is, is the oil, the zeal, the desire, not just for God, but for living. So Father, we just pray that you would help us to be mindful. If we're going to really live our best life now, as the kids like to say, it's really important that we allow your zeal for life to rub off on us, to be stored up in us, And so Holy Spirit, I just pray for us as a church. This is a topic you are always gonna bring us back around to because it's the most important thing to you. Help us to do this. I pray this all the time. I pray this on a regular basis. Like I say, my instrument gets out of tune all the time. So Father, tune us back up. Get us back in tune as a church, as a people. Get our hearts and minds focused on what's your priority for us. And we want that not only because we want your joy and zeal to be on the inside of us, we want our light shining as brightly as it possibly can in the world around us. Father, we're grateful that you help us with that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.